This is The Resident Review, a plastic surgery podcast. This is a platform designed for education of plastics, hand, and craniofacial surgery trainees from medical student to master surgeon. Our episodes take you through high-yield topics along with experts in the field in order to maximize your knowledge and refine your techniques. If you like what you hear today, be sure to visit our website at theresidentreview.com for episodes, outlines, resources, and more. Stay tuned after the episode for a brief message from our sponsor. everybody. It's Tori and Rosie back <laughs> with Quick Hits. We are rounding out the end here, getting unfortunately close to the end service. Very spooky. <laughs> season. <laughs> it's a different kind of spooky season. Just a, yeah. <laughs> we have a hopefully truly quick hit today. Um, we're going to be talking about practice management, which is kind of just like a charcuterie board of various <laughs> different topics that seem quite random if you ask me but we're going to cover them all um except for statistics which we covered in a separate quick hit series mm-hmm. episode um so we're going to talk a little bit about psych and patient selection we are then going to talk about some legislature some stuff about the electronic medical record as well as some various health insurance and policy topics and our favorite, the ACGME (laughs) and training. So we can't wait to get started. A true charcuterie. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's talk about some psychiatry and patient selection. Um, So starting out, when we talk about consent, we have to talk about alternatives to the procedure. This is part of informed consent. We also talk about the nature of the surgery, the disease, diagnosis, indications, benefits, consequences, side effects, risks, and any consequences of an alternative to the surgery. For pediatric consent, anybody less than 18 years old has to have consent from at least one parent unless they are emancipated. And minors should not be put at risk due to a parent's religious belief. So. Um, aka a bloodless surgery as requested by parents for religious exemption still provides the physician with an emergency transfusion possibility if the um, child's life depends on it. And then circling back to emancipation, this is the legal ability to consent for a medical procedure. Um, and this can be achieved due to marriage, military service, financial independence, living apart from parents or parenthood if a child is less than 18. Um, And then a little bit of body dysmorphia on our charcuterie selection today. Um, This is a preoccupation with perceived flaws that may seem minor or slight to others. It is also characterized by repetitive behavior or mental acts related to an appearance. And the preoccupation causes significant distress and it impairs daily function, that's crucial. Eating disorders may be seen with BDD but are not critical of diagnosis. And BDD is most commonly associated with depression up to 75% of the time. So psychological and contraindications of surgery are when success is dependent on the goals. So like a job promotion or marriage, et cetera. And in these patients, it's really important that they're seen frequently post-operatively. That's the best way to encourage success. Next, we're gonna talk a little bit about legislature and some policy points. Um, Talking first about charity, they really like to ask 
this question yeah. on the in-service. Yeah. Um, but if you're participating in a charity event or a charity function, um, this cannot imply or provide a financial incentive for patients to have a procedure. Um, it does not imply understanding of a performance of a procedure for which the patient has not been medically evaluated yet. You can really only offer, and this is the, usually the answer to the mm -hmm. question, injectables like Botox um, or filler. Those are appropriate to offer as a you know, winning prize as a charity or some type of incentive for charity, um, but no surgical procedures can be offered and no implants. Um, with regards to certificate of need, like for buildings or for planning of surgical centers, um, you need to kind of file and be approved for a certificate of need. And this is in order to coordinate planning of new services while controlling costs for production and building and overall healthcare costs. So you can't just like build a new ASC down the road because you want it. You have to provide that, you know, some documentation, some proof that the area around there has a medical need for your services. Um, another sort of random topic that they like to also test a lot is talking about advertising as board eligible while still seeking initial certification. You can only do this for eight years. After that, um, you're kind of not allowed to advertise yourself as board eligible. You would have to pass your boards and then say you're board certified. Um, you do need to re kind of establish your boards every 10 years. Um, although these are kind of frequently changing guidelines and can kind of depend on your um, specific area. American Board of Plastic Surgery candidates are responsible for all advertising, including third parties. The American Board of Plastic Surgery requires professionalism, lifelong learning, assessments of knowledge, and improvements in medical practice. In order to achieve these goals, they uh, require you to have 150 CME credits every three years. So that number, I think, was also tested. Um, and then you need an unrestricted state medical license. So these things they like to kind of test in random ways. One of them was like, which one do you need? And a bunch of random things that you didn't need. And it was unrestricted state medical license, which seemed obvious, but um, <laughs> apparently was not to me when I got the question. Right. <laughs> um, and you cannot use the ASPS logo until you are board certified. Um, next, we're gonna talk about the uh, electronic medical record or electronic health record. This is a computerized provider order entry and is the preferred method for entering orders. Otherwise has to be a written or verbal with feedback, with readback, CMS, EHR enrollment. Um, talking about this, we've also been tested on this a couple of times. If you do not enroll in EMR and you're trying to receive reimbursement from CMS, you get a 1% penalty adjustment below existing Medicare and Medicaid reimbursements for failure to participate in the meaningful use of certified electronic health technology on a yearly basis. Um, so they did test that 1% penalty adjustments uh, question in the past in service exams. And then in terms of meaningful use of the electronic medical record, this kind of overarching goal is to increase the ability of healthcare systems to protect patient medical information in compliance with HIPAA regulations. You need to use the approved EMR systems to, and you wanna do so to their full potential in order to provide optimization of healthcare data documentation and to improve the quality of healthcare. Whether or not that is achieved is a different <laughs> story, but um, That's the, goal. the overall goals uh, are using those systems to their full potential to optimize documentation, improve quality, safety, efficacy, and reduce disparities engage patients and families, improve care coordination, 
improve population and public health, ensure privacy and security protection for PHI. Lots of great goals, really. And, and not to mention the great finger workout I get every day oh, from typing away. Yes. All my little, so much quick all my little documentation notes, but um, we digress. <laughs> we do digress. That's the EMR. We love it. <laughs> Next, um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So moving on to a completely different topic. Um, the universal protocol for preventing wrong site, wrong procedure, and wrong person surgery includes pre-op patient identification by three members of the team, preoperative marking of the surgical site, and a final timeout prior to the surgery or procedure. Just be sure you always do those because it has happened before. All right, moving on to the Government and Sunshine Act. We've been tested on this a couple times before. Um, this is about open payments. So CMS publishes medical devices and pharmaceutical rep payments over a certain amount to physicians. Um, basically, they put all of that in the light. Sunshine, aka. The ADA requires that reasonable accommodations are provided by businesses and in public areas to allow people with disabilities to participate in daily activities. So we've been tested on this regarding like using translators um, or providing for like wheelchair ramps, things like that. We are required to do all of those things. HIPAA is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountable Accountability Act. And the rights include restricting information, inspecting records, amending records, and auditing the disclosure of records. And this covers health plans, clearinghouses, and providers. Um, you can waive an IRB or HIPAA approval if you are preparing a research protocol or performing research on someone who has died. And IRB approval must have de-identified information. So you strip the records of any identifying information or have a statistician approve a small contribution to identification. So within HIPAA, you can have disclosures of information by the request of the patient for treatment or payment to, to individuals identified by the patient um, for incidentals, or you can disclose a limited data set with removal of important identifiers. Um, and you can also disclose to public interest groups with de-identified data. So talking about de-identifying things, the so PHI, that includes name, address, birth date, and social security number. It includes past, present, and future physical or mental health conditions. It includes provisions of healthcare to the individual and payment for the provision of healthcare to the individual. So for payment, you must sign HIPAA waivers in matters of dispute. So you cannot send documentation without signed consent. And PHI between health providers, we're often tested on this too. Or maybe that's just my VA training coming back up to haunt me, having to click that button so many times. Um, PHI can only be shared between two treating healthcare professionals in a confidential and encrypted communication, not at risk of breach or theft. Always log out and lock your workstations, guys. To store patient photos on a computer, you have to also have an encrypted disk using an approved process. And then they added something new this past year, informed consent for social media. So this is a detailed consent document um, that talks about the dynamic nature of individual social media sites. And this should be formally discussed and documented in the patient's medical record prior to proceeding with any sort of disclosure. And then the person who looks over all of this, a privacy official is a responsible body for privacy in an organization. 
It can range from an individual who functions as a privacy official at a small practice to a full-time position. Wow. Another great topic wow. coming up, health insurance. Mm -hmm. My favorite. <laughs> um, so generally talking about some just system requirements for an ambulatory surgery center, um, it must be board certified with any board. You have to have general anesthesia that requires 12 to 24 hours of potential oversight. You must have unrestricted hospital privileges within 30 minutes of that surgery center. Pediatric patients, there needs to be trained PALS, so the pediatric equivalent of ACLS, uh, trained staff by at least one member, and it has to be inspected every three years. Um, a quote, new patient in your practice is a patient that has not been seen in the same specialty within the same practice in three years. Um, so if they've been seen within that three-year window, not even, not even by you, but someone in your practice, then you cannot consider them a new patient mm -hmm. for documentation and billing. Um, so use of a medical assistant does not increase medical legal risk. Um, and a witness is not part of the integral consent process. So those are just kind of standardized pearls that have come up on the test in the past. And then in terms of office-based procedures, you need appropriate drugs, resuscitation, and you need intubation equipment, which we were mm -hmm. recently tested on, um, as well as a defibrillator. In terms of disciplinary action, um, this can occur when you're charging exorbitant fees, especially in emergency care that also showed up on a test. Um, charity events in which surgery is performed, which like we already talked about, is not an option um, for charity. And then endorsement comp compensations, false pictures, or not typical results, or some type of photographic um, technique that misrepresents the actual results. In terms of looking at potential hires, uh, things you are not supposed to ask about. Uh, do not ask about disabilities, age, arrests, children, religion, country of origin, race, or childcare. Um, if you are not treating the patient, you must obtain verbal consent to view and share their information. And then when you prescribe medication to a friend, your friend becomes a patient and you must document this encounter, which is actually something I use very frequently <laughs> to tell my friends that no, I cannot call in their skincare or their <laughs> random antibiotics they think they need. It is a nice fail safe, unless you want to keep a whole horde of notes on your friends. Yeah. Let's see. I don't know if we talked about errors in the previous statistics lecture, did we? I don't think we talked about this, these general errors. Mm, okay. Well, we can talk about these. A near miss event is an unplanned event that does not result in injury, illness, or damage, but has the potential to do so. The look-alike, sound-alike medication error is giving or prescribing wrong medication because it looks alike or it sounds alike. Go figure. Who would have thought? <laughs> Um, okay, health insurance, more things. So looking at billing, the way this works is the physician bills for an amount. The insurance decides how much a service is worth and how much the physician will get. And the difference between what the physician wants and what the physician gets is not considered debt or anything. The actual payment may come partially from the insurance company and partially from the patient, depending on their copay agreement. And depending on your, where you are practicing, RVUs may be higher in an office rather than a hospital or designated facility. Yeah, that was a question on the test. And yes. I got it wrong. I was like, it's got to be the ASC. There's nothing more efficient than the ASC. 
Turns yeah. out, no, actually, you should just do it in your office just and not even do it in your office. Have the cost of the ASC, but which just actually makes sense. You gotta have a defibrillator. You do, and do not intubation forget your defibrillator. <laughs> intubation equipment. Very important. Uh, okay, the types of Medicare. Just memorize them. Um, Medicare A covers hospitalizations, SNF, hospice. Um, if you are over sixty-five, or if you are under sixty-five but collect Social Security, Medicare B covers provider and related services, AKA doctors, PT, labs, equipment, and mental health resources. Medicare C covers additional approved private health insurance. And then Medicare Part D is prescription drug coverage. You can actually just think about this in the order in which the American health system and America prioritizes its care. So <laughs> Medicare A gets you in the hospital. <laughs> And Medicare B, the second part, gets you all the things you need to not be in the hospital. <laughs> and Medicare D gets you the drugs you need to keep you out of the hospital. <laughs> I love that. Um, Your own opinion can be formed about yeah, the about priorities. But those priorities. are the priorities. Those are the priorities. Um, and when Medicare pays you, the difference between the bill and the payment is considered contractual adjustment and services are paid in full. So as a physician, you kind of just agree to accept whatever Medicare decides they want to give you. Moving on to the ACA, the Affordable Care Act. Um, this dictates that it must offer 10 essential health benefits, including outpatient care, ER visits, hospitalization, maternity and newborn care, mental health or substance abuse treatments, prescription drugs, rehab and equipment, lab tests, preventative services, and chronic disease care, and then pediatric services, including dental and vision. It doesn't cover adult dental or vision. Sorry. <laughs> and insurance companies do not cover elective cosmetic procedures, so the patient must be billed separately. And if you are doing a case in which you have an elective cosmetic procedure as well as a procedure that will be covered by insurance, and you must inform the OR when you are switching to the cosmetic portion of the procedure. All right, and last but not least, the ACGME. Shut up. So we are gonna talk first about the core competencies, which are things that show up on your like mid-year eval that they have to <laughs> continuously evaluate you on. These include <laughs> interpersonal and communication skills, your medical knowledge, thought, patient care and procedural skills, professionalism, and systems-based practice, which is a ACGME milestone. And this is sort of, summarizing coordination of patient care within the health systems, cost awareness, patient advocacy, and interprofessional development. It's really just all they want us to know about the ACGME. It's the core competencies. That's all they care about. In terms of other miscellaneous things we wanted to add to this lecture because they've come up on previous exams, um, one of them is cameras. Um, so you want to think about your pre-op and your post-op photos, especially for people just getting started in practice. And it's something that our attendants stress a lot. Mm -hmm. For optimal reproducible digital photographs, you want to have matching anatomical landmarks between your pre and post-op photos, and then use the same camera, same lens, same lighting, same patient position. So with regards to these photos, you wanna look into the type of lens you might need for the given body part that you are photographing. Some facial photographs may need some different focus or different lenses um, that I'll leave up to the expert photographers, um, but most importantly, you want to use like a sky blue background um, for your that has standardized been. photos. That's something yeah. that has been 
kind of decided yeah. upon for some reason. Sky blue, why not? It's the the best contrast with the patient. Sky blue, but like hint of deep blue. Like a little, like a little sprinkle. Yeah. Um, and that's what we got. Practice management. Yeah. Don't you know everything you need to know to run your practice now? You certainly do. I do. Yeah. I Thanks feel. for listening. Do we have fast facts, Tori? Just a few fast facts for this episode. Um, so for giveaways, I feel like we've already said this twice. We cannot forget this. Giveaways cannot include procedures or operations, They can, but they can include injectables. And then in terms of RVUs, you can get a higher number of RVUs or relative um, value units for a specific procedure by performing it in a non-facility or in your office um, com- as compared to performing it in a facility setting. And then your ambulatory surgery requirements or your ambulatory surgery center requirements, um, you have to have your board certification, general anesthesia with some sort of oversight for 12 to 24 hours for patients postoperatively, unrestricted privileges within 30 minutes, someone who's PALS trained if you're treating kids, and they need to be inspected every three years. And that's what we got. Wow. Thanks, Tori. See you for the next one. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.